When our intentions are good, it's hard to appreciate how we could have had such a negative impact on someone else. It's equally challenging to navigate a tough conversation when someone else's words or actions have wronged us, even if that's not what they intended. In this episode, how we can all shift just a bit to help our difficult conversations go better. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 655. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Oh, conversations are so critical to leaders and the work that we do and being able to help make the world a bit better place, to help to develop people and move our organizations forward. And of course, they also come with their challenges. Difficult conversations are the place where leaders land often in their work and so important for us to be able to get better at having the most difficult conversations so those go just a bit better, just a bit easier, and help us hopefully to get to a place where both parties are doing better and help us all move forward. I'm so glad today to welcome back a guest who's absolutely an expert at helping all of us navigate difficult conversations. I'm so pleased to have Sheila Heen back on the show. She's the Thaddeus R. Beale Professor of Practice at Harvard Law School, a deputy director for the Harvard Negotiation Project, and a founder of Triad Consulting Group. She often works with executive teams to engage conflict productively, repair working relationships, and implement change in complex organizations. She has published articles in the New York Times and the Harvard Business Review, and appeared on Oprah, CNBC's Power Lunch, and NPR. She is co-author, along with Douglas Stone, of the New York Times bestseller, Thanks for the Feedback, and also now, in its third edition, co-author with Douglas Stone and Bruce Patton, of the iconic bestseller, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. Sheila, welcome back to the show. I am so delighted to be here. Thanks for having me back. I picked up Difficult Conversations. I think, I know it was at least 20 years ago. Maybe it was right after it published. And I read it, and the message that I still remember all these years later, and now coming back to, is that intent does not equal impact. And how often we struggle with that in our difficult conversations, don't we? Oh my gosh, it is so central to the stories that we tell about the conflicts that we're in with other people. Because as human beings, we care a lot, not only about our own point of view, but especially about how in the world could this other person disagree with us? And why are they being so difficult? It's like we need to understand other people in order to understand the conflict and in order to understand ourselves. Yeah. And there's so many aspects and variables involved in navigating difficult conversations a bit better for everyone. But I thought today we'd look and zero in on one area, and it really does come down to intention and how we tend to leap to intention so often. And there's a couple of key mistakes that you and Doug and Bruce point out in the book that we tend to make, both 
either side, like either the person who's on the receiving end or perhaps the person who someone else is challenging a bit more with a, a difficult conversation. And one of the mistakes that we make is we assume that we know the other party's intentions. You write, much of the first mistake can be traced to one basic error. We make an attribution about another person's intentions based on the impact of their actions on us. We feel hurt, therefore they intended to hurt us. We feel slighted, therefore they meant to slight us. Our thinking is so automatic that we aren't even aware that our interpretation is only an assumption, or put another way, a guess. We are so taken in by our story that we can't imagine how the other person could have intended anything else. Sometimes our guesses are right. Often they aren't. And I, I, I read that and I think like, so true. I catch myself doing this all the time as much as I should know better. <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, I mean, read this book and thought about it. And we just tend to assume the worst a lot of the times, don't we? I think we do. And particularly as a relationship phrase right? As we, over time, are more and more hurt or frustrated by each other, we'll leap quicker, right? We'll start to assume the worst about the other person because we're so hurt, right? Or because we're so frustrated. And I mean, that's the rub, right? Other people's intentions are invisible to us. And so we're left to guess. And sometimes when when people come to me to talk about, oh, you know, let me let me tell you about this conflict. I mean, I really could use some help with it. What leads the story is, first of all, let me just tell you what kind of person this is. Because once they establish that, that explains everything else in the story. And even when I say, okay, so I guess we don't really know their intentions, you know, and they're like, oh, no, 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 I can tell. Because <laughs> I have lots of confirming, confirming evidence about their intentions. And, and by the way, you could be right. And often if we push ourselves to think, well, what, what's the worst story I could tell about why they're doing what they're doing? And then I ask myself, is there a positive story I could tell that they're trying to accomplish something positive? I can sometimes come up with that. And certainly then if I ask a third question is, what would be a neutral story? Meaning they're not really strategic, being strategic or purposive. We would use the word, the made up word purposive. Hmm. Um, they don't have a particular purpose. They're just preoccupied with other things. So they're not paying attention to the fact that they left us off the meeting invite or they once again interrupted us in a meeting. So often we can come up with a neutral story that we're just not as big a fixture on, in their awareness as we think we should be. Yeah. And so often we just feel like the world should revolve around us. And we think every action is a commentary on us, good or bad. And it, and sometimes it is, right? But more often than not, it's we have made up a story in our minds that often shines us in a positive light and the other person not so much. And then, and, and then it becomes self-fulfilling too. All of a sudden, we start telling ourselves these stories and we change our actions. And it's just a, it's a downward spiral. I think that that's right. And in addition to that, even if you're right about their intentions, the fastest way to make a conversation even more difficult is to tell someone else that you know why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, so if you assert that you know what their intentions, motivations, or character is, they're going to be quick to defend themselves. And so it's actually not helping. So we should just name the reality, which is, look, I don't know whether you were aware of this, or even my guess is you probably didn't intend it. and 
I want to describe a little bit the impact it had on me or the impact I worry that it had on the team or the project, because it's really the impact that is the topic that is most important to raise. It's the impact that's motivating you to feel like there's a conversation to be had. And so in a lot of ways, when we get sucked into asserting other people's intentions, that's what they're going to jump to talk about. And it's not the real topic that is most important to us. It's a distraction. So you can make them more open to hearing what you have to say by just acknowledging that you don't know, and maybe they didn't mean it at all. And here's what I want to raise with you, because that's what we're trying to actually address and understand and hopefully improve. Which leads a bit to the second mistake around intentions. And you say it's assuming good intentions erase bad impact. And the the warning in the book is protesting our good intentions is costly. And you point out that it's often challenging because we change the topic of the conversation when we do that. How does it change the topic? Yeah. So you're raising that, of course, when we reverse the roles right? and we've done something that has frustrated or upset someone else, oh, we are so quick to explain that we had the best <laughs> of intentions because we are, right. you know, talk about the world revolving around us. We are the heroes in our own stories. Um, our experience of the world is that it revolves around us because we don't know what anybody else is doing. We're preoccupied with the world that we're in. So I think that what's funny is that when someone else is raising, oh, you said this thing in the meeting that I really felt put me on the spot or, or undermined um, what I was saying, where our brain goes is straight to, oh, no, no, what I'm aware of were the reasons why I did that. And I wasn't trying to put you on the spot at all. I was actually trying to underline the importance of the work that you were doing. And now that I have explained my good intentions for that behavior or that joke that I told that really wasn't, I wasn't intending to be offensive. I was just trying to put everyone at ease. Well, now that I've explained my good intentions, it should erase or sanitize the bad impact. Like now you don't have to be upset anymore. And that's just not the way the person on the receiving end experiences it. Yeah, and you've changed the topic of the conversation to be about what I intended, what I meant, and you've missed the point, right? The point of yes. the conversation is that it had this impact on this person regardless of the intent. And I I really appreciate one of the examples you mentioned in the book is employees at an organization who feel like senior leadership is not very representative of diversity in their organization. And the tendency for a lot of senior leaders when they hear a complaint like that is to say, oh, well, we have good intentions. And often they do have good intentions, right? But yes. it doesn't change the fact that there's not diversity in senior leadership, right? The impact is the same regardless of the intention. Yes, intention matters, but the impact's still there. And that's really the point. Right. That's the point that the person is trying to raise, which is the impact. And and so that was really well described that these two things, intention and impact, often get conflated when actually they are two different topics. We can talk about why we did what we did and what efforts we've made to recruit and, and promote inclusion, et cetera. And, or we can talk about a separate topic, which is where do we stand? 
And what is the actual impact of what we've been trying to do? And I think that's the thing that um, really helped me the most was just crystallizing in my own head that people with good intentions, well-intended people have bad impacts all the time. And we have to talk about both sides of that, but they actually need to be held as separate and equally important. And we need to talk about them so that we're each talking about the same thing rather than jumping back and forth between them and wrestling over which one is more important. Yeah. And there's a part of the invitation I'm hearing here is to be whether the other party is or not really conscious in yourself of what are we talking about? Are we having a conversation right now about impact? Are we having a conversation about intention and being more mindful of that, at least on our side? Because if you don't and you're changing the topic, people feel really dismissed and unheard. Totally dismissed and unheard. And I and I think <laughs> I think that move to explain our efforts and good intentions, that move itself is well intended. And yet the impact of it is that it makes the person who raised something important to them feel completely ignored and dismissed. Because now we're no longer talking about the concern that you raised. We're talking about why I'm a good person still, or why leadership is really doing a good job, which is not what they wanted this conversation to be about. And so there's been a little bit of a tip toward, look, intentions don't matter at all. The point is the impact. And that's what we need to be talking about. And I think that comes from the frustration of people feeling like they're raising things in organizations and not being heard. Um, I'll make a case that I think that intentions do still matter. They certainly matter to the people who want to explain themselves, which is okay. You can share your intentions as long as you're also taking full responsibility for the impact and not using your own intentions to knock the topic of the impact off the table in a frustrating way, the way that we're just describing. But the other reason that intentions are at some stage important to talk about is that it helps me understand what kind of problem we have. In other words, if you interrupted in the meeting because you wanted everybody to have good information or because you didn't know that saying that at that point would be dismissive or had implications because of the history here. If you didn't know, that's just a different problem than if you knew, but actually did want to shut someone down, right? And so it just understanding someone else's intentions, which you can never prove their intentions, you have to decide whether they're in touch with their own intentions. But it at least helps me understand which kind of problem do we have? And that might guide us to, all right, so what do we want to do next? Yeah. And and the good news is we can do better. I, I appreciate the definition at the very beginning of the book of difficult, what is a difficult conversation. And it's a conversation we don't want to have, <laughs> right? Yes, and, yes. And it's um, keeping us up at night. Yes. And we feel stuck. Yes. Yeah, yeah totally. Which we all have, like especially folks in leadership roles. I was just talking with one of our members yesterday. She's like, I know I need to have this conversation. I'm going to have it, but boy, I am not looking forward to it. And she told me about it and I was like, ooh, and I felt bad for it because it's going to be a hard conversation. It's not going to be fun. And I think what we're what I'm hearing from from you and the book and all your work is difficult conversations are still going to be hard. It's not like we're going to utilize a different tactic and a skill and say the right thing and somehow it's going to make it easy. But if we do a bit better on some of these things, 
it, it's more likely to go better for both parties, and we're more likely to get a play, to a place where we have some shared understanding and we have a more productive conversation. But it's still hard, and and that's where I think one of the antidotes, if I can use that word, to the the second mistake we were talking about of the tendency we have to assume good intentions erase bad impact is to listen for feelings first. And yes, be conscious of our intentions. But if we're listening for feelings that are coming from the other person, that gets us in a place where we're a little bit more focused on the impact. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I think what's easy to forget when we're facing a difficult conversation is that if we're going to talk about what matters most, if we're going to talk about the real issues going on between us, then probably we've got at least a couple of layers of issues going on. So we've got at least two problems. One is a surface problem. Like we have to decide, you know, what's a realistic deadline for this project, which we disagree about. But often if it's, by the time it becomes a difficult conversation, you've got a second problem that's sitting deeper than that under the surface, which is how we each feel treated by the other. And that involves both feelings and identity issues. Am I competent? Am I respected? Am I appreciated? Am I trusted? Did I mess this up? And that has everything to do with feelings. And so sometimes we want to stick to business as leaders and be task-oriented and professional and, and leave the messy feelings part out of it. And we might solve the deadline question, but that frustration at feeling dismissed or unheard in terms of how we feel treated is just going to manifest in some other way next week. So if we're not talking about the deeper feelings issues, we're also not getting at the real underlying problems in the relationship that could be explored and improved and make all of our conversations a little bit easier. Yeah, indeed. You know, I was thinking about that situation where as you said earlier, like we tend to think about ourselves in a positive light. We have good intentions, right? And when it's us that have said something or done something that maybe the impact hasn't landed the way we want, the tendency to jump in quickly and to explain ourselves. And you write, they may not even be aware that they're suggesting bad intentions on your part. Instead of saying, you didn't include me, they say, you excluded me. Just the verb they choose reveals an assumption that it was deliberate. They may not notice their own assumption, but we surely do. Don't take the bait. Notice the assumption, set it aside, and first work to hear the hurt or anger and the importance of their topic. I think about that paragraph, and I think that it it's so natural for us when we hear someone else make an assumption about our intentions that we want to jump in and defend ourselves immediately. And the... The thing we can do, I'm hearing that's helpful, is yes, we may get to that, but first to stop and be curious and to listen for what they're feeling and how this landed with them. If we can do a little bit of that at the start, the conversation often goes better. That's right. And in the feedback, the Thanks for the Feedback book, we talk about the phenomenon of switch tracking, which is where you're, the train is going along a track and then the track diverges. And what's happening is one person is talking about one topic. I'm talking about my good intentions and how I well, I did not mean to exclude you. Let me just correct that right away. While the other person is still on their own track of what they're trying to raise is the most important topic, which is the impact. 
The other thing that I think might be useful just to name is the extent to which in any conversation, it's almost like we're in a little play. And the other person in raising something with us, something we've done that has had a bad impact or that they're concerned about in the business, when they describe the bad impact that we had, and especially if they imply that we had bad intentions, we're basically being cast as the villain in this play. And so they're basically saying, hi, let's have a conversation in this little conversational play. I am the hero who is raising an important issue, or I am the victim who you victimized. But either way, you are the villain. Would you like to have that conversation? And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. You have miscast me. Let me explain how I am actually the hero here. And you are either not victimized or it's your own fault and you're the villain by implication, because those are the three roles available to us. Yeah. And it's almost like we can't wait to recast ourselves. When in fact, as you point out, part of having difficult conversations is having the patience to note something and to be able to stick with what's important to them and to understand their perspective, even as we disagree with it or we are having reactions to it, but to really work to stay curious and to hear it, knowing that maybe it doesn't come up in Act 1, but sometime in Act 2, we'll have a chance to say, by the way, it's real. I'm really glad you raised this. I guess it was much more upsetting than I thought it was. And so I'm so glad that you came to talk to me about it. This is a bigger problem than I understood. But since you're customer facing, this is really helpful for me to know. And by the way, let me say, I I actually didn't exclude you on purpose. I'm sort of horrified by the fact that you were excluded. So I just wanted to clarify that so that you know that it's not that I was trying to do that. And it becomes kind of a footnote that they're more open to hearing because they first feel heard by you. I love the way you just said that. And I think like how hard it is to get in that space if you've not done a lot of that before. When you are working with people, Sheila, and coaching leaders on this, what do you find is helpful just to for people to have a little bit of that pause, just to take that moment to like be a little more curious, to be able to, like you said, like, yes, the point still may come up about the intention, but it's act two or act three. Do you find something that works? Yeah. The people who are best at this, who tend to be the best leaders, one of the characteristics is that they're quite good listeners. And I think that part of it is a shift in stance from assuming that a conversation is about figuring out who's right, and I better get my points in early because we're in an advocacy system and who whoever talks more or louder is the one who's quote unquote controlling the conversation and is likely to quote unquote win the conversation. And that's not their stance, although it's a natural feeling, especially if you grew up with siblings, right? (laughs) That competition feeling, and we learn to debate in school and et cetera. But those leaders have made a shift in their head where it's not about explaining why I'm right. It's about, first, I need to understand why we see it differently. Or first, I need to understand what can you see that I can't see? Because as a leader, I need to understand that. I may or may not agree with it at the end of the day. And I'll, I'll share with you sort of where I come out on it or, or my perspective and information I have that you often don't have access to. But there's time for that. We'll get there. So I don't need to assert it right away. I can instead stay in a place of curiosity because I actually shouldn't know what I think at the end of the day until I this person's trying to give me more information that I need to then metabolize and then 
figure out what to integrate into my view. And my view may or may not change. That's okay. But we have to have the conversation before I know whether my view changes. Yeah. Oh, so well said. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the other side of this too. We talked about that first mistake that when someone has wronged us, assuming we know the other party's intentions. And there there are some ways to do better with that too, when it's us feeling like we're wronged. And I was thinking about a situation that I was thinking like, when did this happen to me? Mm. And uh, this is years ago now, Sheila, which is helpful because I can look at it much more objectively than I would have at the time. <laughs> but I worked for Dale Carnegie for many, many years. And at one point, our office moved locations and everyone was getting assigned new offices and in the new location. And the culture of our office, we were a sales organization. So a lot of us were charged with sales and numbers and everything around the culture of the office was built around your title, your you know, office, all of that was built around kind of like how much money you brought in for the business, which is not good or bad. It's just what, what it was. And so we all got to make requests for what offices we wanted at this new facility. And we got the tour and the whole bed and, and, and there was like this perfect office. I was like, Ooh, I want this one. And at the time I was the top person. And so it didn't even occur to me that I wouldn't have gotten that office. And then I found out later on, I didn't get the office and someone else got it. And that's I, outrageous. I just want to say on your behalf, that is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of embarrassed even bringing this up because of all the things I care about in the world today, this is so like if it was happening today, I wouldn't have even given it a second thought. But at the time, and when we get an organization where like hierarchy and numbers and position and title become really important as far as what that signifies, I was so angry. I was so I remember being more upset about that than I think I was ever about any professional situation that happened. And it seems so silly, but I attributed the the intent of all the other parties to I'm not and it comes back to my identity. I'm not valued anymore, no one cares about my contributions, all those things. And I look back now and I realize like none of that was true. Actually, it had nothing to do with me at, at the end. And I ended up having a conversation with my boss about it at the time because I was really mad and it totally took him off guard. And so I was thinking it might be fun to look at th that through the lens of like because you invite us to ask ourselves three questions. What are Three questions that if we spend a little bit of time with can actually help us to to understand a little bit more and to separate some of the intent and, and impact. And it might be maybe that's useful to do with this situation. Did you learn why they had made the office assignments that they had? I, yeah. What happened is one of my colleagues was just really, really passionate about wanting a certain office. And no one else said anything. And so our boss at the time was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. And so I and think about- feel that strongly about it. Yeah. So the intent was just to make this person happy. And it sounds like it wasn't visible to him that it would make anybody else unhappy. Well, and why would it have been? You know, I think about the first question that you invite us to ask is, what did the other person actually say or do? And in this case, nothing. <laughs> 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 well, you're also raising that, you had unwittingly 
contributed, unwittingly meaning unintentionally, contributed to the outcome by not sharing how strongly you felt about it. It sounds yeah. like. Is yeah. that true? Oh, for sure. And one, it didn't occur to me that it would ever be an issue. But secondly is I didn't want to admit that it mattered to me. Like yeah. now I can now I can see that all these years later. Like I didn't want to admit or say to anyone that it really mattered to me. And I had a colleague who it also really mattered to and was much more vocal about it. But it's funny now looking back and thinking about this question, what did the other person say or do? It wasn't about me at all. There wasn't even yeah. a thought about me in the process. And yet the impact was like, it makes me feel angry just thinking about it. It's been like 15 years. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, I so relate to that. I so relate to that. Well, and the other thing that I am really appreciating about this example is, is that your boss also like, the status that came with the office or whatever meaning, right, it had for you was just not on his radar screen at all. It wasn't the meaning he made out of it. Yeah. And so I think that the question of what do we each care about and what meaning do we make out of particular decisions and outcomes are so different that without a conversation, you would have just gone on to continue to resent it and feel under underappreciated. And he would be completely clueless as to why you were suddenly checked out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And which goes to the second question, what's the impact on me? So no one would have even known, and but it would have had a huge impact on me of just my thoughts and feelings about it. And then I think about the third question, based on this impact, what assumption am I making about what the other person intended? And I made all kinds of assumptions. I was like, what they were thinking, why they excluded me, the whole thing. And it turned out none of that was true. And it just was one of those things like, yeah, whatever. No one really ever even thought about it as a, as a thing. And so once you realized that there was no intent behind it, did it change your feelings? Did it change the impact on you? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It still hurt. But yes. I remember have I remember exactly where I was. I ended up having a phone conversation with my boss because we couldn't be in the same location for whatever reason. And I remember exactly where I was. And I remember yeah. having the phone conversation. And he was so gracious looking back. Oh my gosh. Like this he's like I'm so sorry. He's like, I am going to feel so bad every time I look at you in that office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if he did or not, but it was just funny. Like, we ended up sort of laughing about it at the end. And it still hurt. But just having ended up opening up the conversation and realizing that there actually wasn't any, there wasn't any intent behind it at all it changed then going forward. Yeah. And I was able to move past it much quicker. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, it was like, whatever, it wasn't a thing anymore. Well, so two things about the way that your boss handled it. One is, it sounds like your boss did such a great job of really hearing and explicitly appreciating the impact on you. Yeah, yeah. Like your boss didn't jump to be like, oh, well, you should have just told me. So it wasn't intentional. Your boss really heard, oh, golly. I had no idea and now I feel terrible. And that that empathy and appreciation for the impact on you is part of what helped you turn a corner a little bit to be able to laugh about it and to heal it a little bit. Right. And the other part that I think is so interesting is that one of the reasons that we assume once I explain my good intentions, then that'll erase the impact, like you won't feel bad anymore, is that it is true that if we think that the other person is intentionally doing something to us, we feel worse about it, right? Are you sending me a message about how I'm valued here? Or was it just that you didn't know that I cared about the office? You know, when someone cuts us off in traffic, 
we automatically assume that they're just a jerk. But if it's an ambulance, we might give it a little bit more grace because we assume, oh, there's a reason that they need to get where they're going. Right, right. right. And we we assume better intentions. And so other people's intentions do actually change the impact on us to some extent. And that's actually important as well when it comes to remembering that you don't know. Sometimes people will say just everybody should assume good intentions. And I think that's not bad advice, but it doesn't resonate when you're really frustrated and feel like, yeah, but come on, not this person. I think instead, the more fundamental assumption is assume you you just don't know. And also that what you're trying to raise is the impact, which is a different topic. And that's what's important to you to put on the table. Yeah, that's where these three questions, like if I had thought through the lens at the time of these of what did they say or do? What was the impact on me? And then based on the impact, what's the assumption I'm making about them? It it still would have hurt. It still would, but it would have gotten me there much faster. And I think that it would have ultimately made that conversation go easier in that situation at the time. And so I think that's, it's a great starting point. And I, I really appreciate what you said of like, it's nice to think, okay, everyone always intends well. And yes, a lot of time people do. But it does sometimes oversimplify it. But actually Mm -hmm. kind of walking through some of those points, I think, helps us to like, okay, if I can speak to the impact and then inquire about the other person's intentions, like that's a really good place to land. Yeah. And I think that also that move is a really powerful move. It is an easier move to make earlier in a relationship. In relationships that have a lot of history, it gets harder. People are like, yeah, but with my neighbor, <laughs> yeah, forget it, because there's a lot of history here. And, and so I do think that it's a deliberate choice, and it's a courageous choice to extend an invitation to a different kind of conversation where you're actually receptive to hearing what's going on, and you're requesting that they be receptive to hearing the impact on you as well. Sheila Heen is co-author of Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, now in the third edition. Sheila, thank you so much to you and your colleagues for your work. Thank you for your work. And thank you for also the work that you're doing, helping leaders have conversations with each other and with experts and with themselves about how we're navigating that and what we're learning along the way. Oh, it's a pleasure and a joy. Thank you. If this conversation was helpful to you, a few related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is the previous time Sheila was on the show, way back on episode 143, How to Get Way Better at Accepting Feedback. We featured her wisdom from her book, Thanks for the Feedback. It is a conversation we don't have enough of in the circles of leadership development because oftentimes we're talking about how to give feedback, maybe how to solicit feedback, but we don't often have a conversation about once you've heard feedback, what do you do with it? That episode is a deep dive into how do you actually process what you've heard, what's useful, what's not, what are the things you do with it once you've heard it. Episode 143, a lot more on that from Sheila. I think a great compliment to this conversation. Also a great compliment is episode 594, how to begin difficult conversations about race. 
Kwame Christian was my guest on that episode. We talked about his book on handling difficult situations, especially related to race. And Kwame and I talked about how do you start those conversations? Now, really helpful to you if you're specifically thinking about starting a conversation about race that needs to be addressed in your organization. That is a great model for it. But even more broadly, we talked about the key principles for starting any difficult conversation. And oftentimes, I find at least, the hardest part is the getting started. And Kwame and I in that conversation really went into detail on what does the first 15 to 30 seconds of a difficult conversation sound like? How do you actually get it started? Whether it's about race or something else that's challenging to discuss, that is a really useful starting point. Episode 594 for that. And then finally, of course, I'd recommend also the work of Amy Gallo on episode 595, How to Deal with Passive-Aggressive People. Amy's book called Getting Along, super helpful to parse out so many difficult situations that many of us run into in working with People that are, we may label as difficult, but in reality are just often very different from how we approach things. In episode 595, we look specifically at those who are more passive-aggressive and show up that way in the workplace. How do you handle those situations? The episode will help you on that. But more broadly, Amy's book, Getting Along, so helpful on so many of these situations. So if you find yourself getting into difficult conversations of a certain type or with a certain demographic of person, I think that it's a wonderful starting point for you. Episode 595 again for that. All of those episodes you can find on the Coaching for Leaders com website. If you haven't set up your free membership yet, I'm inviting you to do so at coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to the entire library of episodes since 2011, searchable by topic, and many other benefits inside of the free membership. One of those benefits, in fact, someone just emailed me today and said, I've been getting the weekly update on email because one of my colleagues has been sending it along. How do I get that weekly update from you on email? Uh, you can actually just set up your free membership. You'll start getting the weekly update each week. That is a great place to be able to dive in further on the episode because all the links, the resources, each week's episode are there. In addition, I am constantly finding articles, resources, other podcast episodes, TED Talks, videos, things that I think will be helpful to you in your leadership development. I'm including those each week in the weekly guide. It's one message with a concise place to you for you to continue to dive in on some more resources. All of that's included inside the free membership. And if you've already been receiving that for a bit, you may want to learn about Coaching for Leaders Plus. One of the benefits of Coaching for Leaders Plus is each month we have a recording come out of our monthly expert chats. Our expert chats are where a group of our academy and pro members sit down with a past expert who's been here on the podcast. And they ask them questions directly. And I love those events because it's not me asking the questions. It's actually our members asking questions directly of the guest experts. And I'm thinking about that today because Kwame Christian and Amy Gallo are both past guests in our expert chats. Those recordings are included inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus, all of the years now of those recordings. In addition, you also receive the new recording each month every time we host another expert chat event. It's one of the key benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you'd like to find out more and get full access, just go over to coachingforleaders.plus. All the details are there. Coaching for Leaders is edited by Andrew Kroger. Production support is provided by Sierra Priest. I will be back next Monday 
for our very next conversation on leadership. Have a great day and see you next week.